on today's episode, I'd like to welcome Amar Vital, owner of That Guy Media Group, a former college football player and sports analyst, and now a fitness instructor and mental performance coach, motivational consultant, international speaker, an author who provides his audience with the tools needed to achieve personal success, utilize willpower and determination, and develop strategies that will allow people of all ages to achieve personal and professional excellence. So that's pretty awesome. So thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Um, really, really appreciate it. So let's get a bit of an insight into um, how you became your own personal success story. Uh, from ground zero. So basically just a bit of backstory when you first became aware that you wanted to or perhaps needed to change the circumstances and lead a more fulfilling life. Well, we'll just sort of take you back to, to and thank you for having me um, at this time. Uh, take it all the way back to to childhood. Obviously, I came up as a, as a young man who just really just wanted to have a pen in my hand. I've, I've been a writer since basically since I was birthed, since I was birthed, you know, you, you you come out of the womb, you learn how to walk, and then I learned how to write immediately. So that was sort of my start. I came through, came through the journalism world, um, worked for several newspapers, went to college and majored in journalism as well. And at the same time, I've always been an athlete, right? I was a three-point athlete in school. I went to, to college and played college football for about a year and a half, two years. And, you know, I had some injuries and some financial issues, so that didn't continue. But I was always a very, very fit guy. And then somewhere on the back end of college, um, you stop playing ball and working at a local sports bar and, you know, get you a girlfriend who knows how to cook well. And next thing you know, you balloon up. And I mean, I went, you know, you're looking at a guy who was a size 40 in the waist at one point in time. Okay. And I went through, you know, all the different jobs and different things. And then one day I, I was, I was in a, I was in a, was in a dressing room and I was like, what happened to me? Like, I mean, you know, I went from, you know, five, nine, 185 pounds, you know, seven to 10% body fat to just being a size 40 in the waist, you know, 238, 240. And it's like, I don't even know who this guy is. And, and that was the moment of truth when I realized that, you know, I couldn't just ride on the idea that I was an athlete because now I'm a grown man and I needed to make some changes. And so that, that moment in the Banana for Republic uh, um, dressing room was an eye opener for me. And that started a new found love for fitness as a grown man. And, you know, we've just doubled down with it from there. Is it just you were like looking at yourself, you were trying on your clothes and you're just like, oh, what's what's happened here? Was that the moment that kind of clicked for you? It's like, OK, we need to take some control here. Did you? Did you step out of that dressing room and maybe go home later that day and just kind of, um, cause like, this is something I really want the, the listeners to kind of like, you know, to know when they find their point, when they kind of click with that moment that they need to kind of do something and change. So was it from that, from that day, um, and to kind of break it down into its most kind of fundamental, um, realization to kind of go, right. Okay. We need to do something here. Or, you know, like, did you, go home that day and immediately start, you know, um, thinking about plans to kind of like get yourself back in shape or what happened there? So when I was in the dressing room and I was I'm sitting there trying on clothes and it was like I, I, I got a large and the large didn't fit. I got an extra large, the extra large didn't fit. And then the 2X and it's just like, okay, the 2X fixed, but I look like what what's going on? Like this is, this isn't me. And I remember just having a full mental breakdown. And then I went home 
And the next night I went to my mentor and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I need, I was like, I want to lose weight. And he's like, when? I said, right now. Okay. So he put me together a plan, put me on a caloric uh, deficit plan. And I remember that night I went and bought, you know, fruits, vegetables. And like, I like, I literally went into mode of just buying, you know, healthy options. I went and bought turkey. I went and bought, you know, wheat bread. Like I just went and did that. And then I came home and I was just fed up and I went to the pantry and I just gutted it out. And I mean, just like all the stuff that no longer serves me. Like I went to a full, I, I, I share with my people, like change happens when you look in the mirror and decide like, I cannot live like this anymore. Like it's, this is, this is it. Like line in the stand, you know, burn the ships. We either, we either win or it's over, you know? And I know that's, you know, going a little draconian there in my, in my approach, but oh. I mean, you gotta, you gotta go scorched earth uh, when it comes to it. Because if you really think about it, there's nothing more important than health. Like health is everything. Like you can be all the wealth in the world. If your health isn't there, like life is going to be shorter than you think. And so I went home, gutted everything out of the pantry, anything that no longer serves me. So it went from four shelves down to like one and a half. And I just started, you know, eating better, logging my meals. And I'm, I'm old school. Um, I know there's apps out there for people, but I'm old school. I write mine down and Little uh, little notebooks. Actually, I have one right here. I I carry this in my back pocket, and I log I log the meals in these pages each day. Each day has a page, and you write down what you eat and what the and what the and what the caloric intake was for it. Um, and that's a book to hold yourself accountable, so you can write it write in it all the time. Like I said, I know that's a little archaic from what a lot of people like to do, but I like the idea of seeing and writing what I'm doing, and so that that really was the start. Uh, that was the first part of the journey. And I think within two weeks, I started a gym membership and I was just, man, I was working out like twice a day for like three or four months. And it just, it became an obsession because I was tired of the man in the mirror. And so that was, that was one of the great, that was one of the first major components that got me started on the plan. And of course there's more to it, but that was, uh, that was the first start of, of about a four step journey. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, we all need that moment of clarity, I think, you know, um, you mentioned in your, um, your book now, what, which I've, I've read a bit prior to our interview of like, you know, you, you know, you need to look at these moments that you consider to be, um, you know, low points and accept them and not be judgmental about them and take them on board to become a better you you know like i don't know if i'm i'm probably not quoting you here exactly but that essence is definitely in in that book so yeah we all need um i think that moment of clarity where we just go okay something needs to change now and where were you mentally at that point can i ask in the banana republic before you had that moment of clarity like were you a happy individual you know was everything going on okay for you um was there any kind of mental factors that led to you gaining weight do you think you know were you perhaps bored and eating more were you using food as a you know comfort tool as an anxiety pill well, it, it, that's an interesting question, and thank you for asking it. I think what it what it happened is is once I came out of college, um, you know, once I stopped playing football and just working, I, I was just sort of going through the motions, and I, and I was doing well, like I was making good money or whatever. But I had no discipline, 
in my eating. I would, you know, you know, drinking three or four times, drinking alcohol three or four times a week. Uh, I think at that time I was even a chain smoker as well. So mentally, I was just, I was just sort of just what Napoleon Hill would call drifting. I was just drifting through life, but I was doing well in certain areas. But, but my, I would get tired going up a flight of stairs. Uh, all of those things. So mentally, mentally, I think I was just putting a Band-Aid over a larger problem and didn't even know it because, I mean, it never stopped my work ethic. But at the same time, there was a side of me who was just like, you know, I didn't realize how bad it had gotten until I got in that dressing room and I'm wearing a 2X. I'm not a 2X. I was a, you know, I'm a I'm a skilled player on a football team. I'm an American football team. I played college football like I've always been a fit ripped man and like now you know i think mentally i just took i took my eyes off of the prize i didn't take my health seriously and and as you bring that up i probably there probably was some there was some mental faculties going on where i was just do what i want long as i'm long as i'm successful and who cares like what's it what, what why do i need to keep up with my why do i need to budget my my caloric intake why do i need to budget my food just just sort of go through it, you know. So the, the mental side of things is I think I think I was hurting and didn't know it. I just I almost put like a mental blocker in place to where out of sight, out of mind, until you see yourself mm-hmm. literally in a mirror. And you know, when you go in a dressing room, the mirror is long, so you get to see all of you. Whereas at your house, you know, probably in your bathroom, it's just waist up and you don't really get the full picture. When you get the full picture and you're seeing that shirt hanging lopsided off of you, it does something to you mentally. And it did something to me. And I think that was the moment where I snapped and I was just like, no more. So my mental state of mind, you're absolutely correct. My mental state of mind had snapped and it snapped into something new when it was time to put together the plan and get back to the weight where I'm obviously been now for now 12 years. The thing is that you recognize that sign there's a lot of people who have had a moment like that and have just chosen to ignore it and continue the thing is about you that you saw that because like i know exactly what you're talking about i was in the dress room the other day myself and this it's almost like this all encompassing mirror of truth there's like mirrors all around you in the dressing room you can see your back you can see your shoulders you can see the whole lot of you so yeah, it's almost like you're just there and it's like going, okay, this is me right now. This is where I'm at. I think that's it. We all recognize and see these signs and it's up to us, I think, to quickly kind of segue into my own thing. I used to be um, a smoker and one morning I started coughing up blood and I had to go to the ER. From that day forward, I just stopped smoking cigarettes. I haven't smoked one since. But I know other people who have had to go on breathing apparatuses and they're still smoking. Like, I do think we are showing signs and it's up to us on how we act. And um, that was your journey and that was your sign. That was your calling. It seems to have led to a lot of positive things in your life. I just think being accountable for yourself is it's a blessing in many ways. It really, really is. You're absolutely you're absolutely correct. And, you know, when I'm when I'm working with my classes and things of that nature, I tell them all the time, I was like, you know, I can, you come to me and I'm going to give you the truth. I said, but many of you, you won't change until that moment, like you said, that moment of clarity. And sometimes that moment of clarity is, is sitting with your doctor and your doctor saying, hey, if you don't do this, this will happen. And whatever that this is, 
Like you said, you were coughing up blood from smoking too much. That your doctor didn't need to tell you that life taught life, your life choices taught you that. But some people who maybe are just overweight, obese, or whatever, they may need to go in, get some things checked out, get some blood work done. And the doctor's like, hey, you've been diagnosed with blank. If you continue on this, this will this more this much more damage will be done. Or we can pivot now, you can lose this weight, and then we can get you in place to where you're you're, you're building your health back up. Some people need to be almost like scared straight into into doing that because it's like like you said, until it gets to a serious point where it literally is between life and death, some people just won't get it. And, it, and it's sad it has to get there. You know, yours was the coughing up blood. Mine was looking in the mirror like, Ugh, like I'm tired, you know, just walking from, you know, in a grocery store. Like, I can't live like this. I want more vitality. I want more life, you know, and you're just like, I'd rather not cough up my blood. Mm -hmm. Right. So those things were triggers for us. Those things were like like line moments like here, like mark this as a point in life where like, oh, like this before is no longer. There's a new me coming who's about to be born from this. And, and I think that's what that's what you that's what you exhibited there. But like I said, a, a lot of times people don't want to do that because, you know, oh, you know, I got to log my meals. I got to do this. Yes, it's called discipline. It's called accountability. Mm. And some people have to be forced into that. And some people just are, are sort of self-starters. Uh, but, you know, there are there are some people who I don't wish for bad things to happen to them, but that's the only way they're going to come in good faith and want to get something done. I have people in my class like that all the time. It's just like, you know, we've been talking about this for a couple of years. It's just like, you know, you're a little too... You're a little too aggressive. And I'm just like, yes, because I care. I'm aggressive with you about this because I care. I don't want you to continue holding this weight. It's bad for your back. It's bad for your knees. It's bad for your health overall. It's bad for your, you know, your mental faculties. And I want you to be at a place where you can look in the mirror and love who that is on, a, on another level to where when you walk in, you're radiant, you, you, you're bringing the light to a room. Right. And I, I, I think people sometimes dismiss and don't understand the idea that when you when your physical body has a has a nice uh, tone and 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 a, and a and a look to it, you walk with more confidence. You dress with more confidence. You 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 move differently. You move with more uh, confidence and grace and things of that nature. And so, it is very it's very possible that. Some people have to be faced with very tough decisions before they change. And it's sad it has to get there, but that's that's just the essence of human existence. Let's talk about your transitional journey as a former uh, football, college football player, sports analyst, and now a fitness instructor and a mental performance coach. Now, were these things, I'd imagine the fitness instructor came as a result of the Banana Republic gate. <laughs> and then um, the mental performance coach, was that something you did prior to your weight gain or um, is that something that came after along with being a fitness instructor? I think it came shortly after, but I was on the trajectory to do that. Um, obviously coming out as, a, again, the baseline is I was a writer. I'm still a writer. And and it just sort of just went into, into all of those things. The, the mental performance coaching came as a result of the work I was doing with athletes. Right. Because I was covering them from a sports standpoint, from a college football recruiting standpoint. So I got to see them firsthand 
you know, and that, that segued into my to my first book, Awaken the Baller Within. Um, from the fitness side of things, yes, the fitness side of things is that I I I kind of I got on a new meal plan. I started jumping on a treadmill and just actually I was on the elliptical because I didn't like treadmills a long time ago. Mm. And I got on the elliptical and I'm just I'm getting it. And then I looked in a room and I saw a bunch of people in there on bikes. And I was like, that seems pretty awesome. And it just looked intense. People would come out drenched in sweat. And I was like, I'm going to try to get in one of those classes, but they used to always fill up. So you had to get there like extremely early back in the day to get into a cycling class. So if it started at 630, you needed to be in, in, in the line at like 605. And I finally caught one. And when I got in there, I was just like, this class is amazing. And so I started going. I started I started doing indoor cycling three times a week. And I remember because uh, I was at I, I was going into the corporate office at that time and I was lose, I was losing so much weight that people were scared to ask me if my weight loss, if there was something like there was a woman who came up to me and said, you know, you look great. You, you have good weight loss. But are you OK? And I didn't know what they were doing. And they, they thought that like maybe I had something terminally wrong with me because I lost I was losing weight so aggressively and so fast that they wanted to make sure that, you know, health wise, I was good. But I was man, I was I was in some of the best shape of my life at that time. And so typically the way things work down here is when you when you cycle so long, they always say the best people to do it is those who are aggressively taking the class. And so me and about four or five other of us came off the bike, got certified and started teaching indoor cycling and, you know, went, got certified to do boot camps and things of that nature. So I've been teaching cycling now for seven years wow. and, um, and it was, it was an amazing journey, um, how that got started, but they pulled me off the bike. And now I use, I use my classes as like, you know, a motivational platform, a ministry platform, because it's not just about fitness. I, I, it's, it's not just about caloric intake. It's about, you know, it's almost like it's a philosophy. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way of life. It's a culture. And I, I, I treat my class to where it's, it is like a sanctuary. It's like people are coming in. They've been at work all day. They got kids, they have jobs, they have responsibilities, they have businesses. And it's like, they just want to let loose for a little while. And it's like, hey, come on in here, you know, lay out, cast all your fears at the door, cast all the, cast all your doubts. Let's come in here. Let's have a community. Let's 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 work through this together and and let's build with one another. And that's how I've been able to have successful classes for so long, because you create a culture where people can come in, enjoy their time and just let loose and, and at the same time, get a good workout in and. That's the philosophy I've worked with. And, you know, now I'm, I teach three classes a week now at three different gyms. And it's um, it's been a great ride so far. And, it's, and it's, uh, I think it's only the beginning because there's a couple of gyms that are, are a little newer to me. And uh, I'm looking forward to that journey. But, yes, it, it is that the fitness instructor came as, as, a, as, a, as a literally as a byproduct of losing the weight. And now the mental performance uh, coaching thing that came off of my writing uh, abilities in my in my book writing so how difficult was it losing the weight and from what you're telling me there it's like you attacked it aggressively it seemed to me like you had no issue losing the weight whatsoever and um, it seemed like you actually even enjoyed attacking it aggressively did you just throw all the junk food away and just go that's it 
was it like this kind of all or nothing mentality to a certain extent? You know, they just kind of go, okay, it's either this way or this way. And um, because you find out with a lot of people that they kind of fall off the initial kind of like motivation and the buzz and that initial kind of fright that they get, you know, uh, you know, they, they lose a certain amount of weight and they're kind of like, people are kind of telling that they look good and, you know, they kind of start easing up a little bit of it and they get a little bit complacent and it kind of, you know, the weight starts kind of coming on again. And, you know, I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about your experience with that. Did, you know, did that ever happen for you where you just kind of slow down a little bit and maybe, you know, not even went back to your old ways, but just kind of like started introducing and started consuming more of processed foods and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, the weight kind of comes on a bit again. You know, how do you manage that? Are you eating completely clean now? You know, just a little bit about that, because I do see that as a trend with a lot of people. And you seem to have a really good strategy now for it. Should people still have kind of fun with food? Or should people find other ways for fun? I'm, I'm giving you a really loaded question here, but basically mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. So do you, um, you know, enjoy calorie-dense meal out, you know, like burgers and fries, and, you know, do you still enjoy those things? Do you still eat chips and candies and stuff like that? Or, you know, how does that work? Yeah, yes, it's a great it's a great question. And, and I will say, when I was going through the journey, um, much of what you just talked about did get disposed um, because I, because I was, I was, I was on a scorched earth mission uh, to, to get that weight off. And, and it was like, once, once you drop a pant size, it was, it was game over. You know, I'm probably 240, 242, you know, start creeping down, you know, you're from a 40 to a 34. I mean, go, go from a 40 to a 38, 38 to a 36. And I remember when I first got down to a 36 and all the pants I had, and it was just like, you know, these wide pants that just no longer fit me or whatever. And so my initial goal was to lose 45. So I got down to 195 pounds and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I'm losing the weight. I look good, but is there more? And I ended, I ended up in, I ended up getting down to 178 because a lot of times, you know, Trevor, what a lot of people do, they'll, they set a goal that they think, is attainable, but they really, really shoot a very low mark. Like you'll see, you know, women all the time come in and say, you know, I just need to lose like 10 pounds. And you're looking at them and you're just like, like 10 pounds is not even, that's not even taking care of your right arm, sweetheart. Like, I'm like, no, for your build, you probably need to lose 40, but they see a number like 40 and they're just like, oh my goodness, there's no way I can lose 40. Mm. But in actuality, when you set the goal so low, you actually don't reach it because you always think, I got time. I can cheat here. I can do this because it's not a large goal, you know? And so they put these little small goals and they, because I've known people who are still trying to lose the same 15 pounds that's three years later. But when you put a large lofty goal out there, let's just say, you know, someone's like, I want to lose 20 pounds. And you say, you know what? I want you to lose 45. Let's say they lose 38. And they're like, I love this. I love this. I love this look. But if you would just let them ride with the 15, they wouldn't have loved that. Because my thing is, it's like people say, you know, I don't want to lose too much weight. And I tell people, I was like, when you're in the zone, lose as much as you can. Right. Go ahead and take off as much weight as you can. And they're just like, yeah, but I don't want to get too skinny. I said, huh, 
let me let me remind you of something. If you need to gain weight, you know how to do that properly. That's not hard to do. So if you if you wanted 20 and you lose 30, you're just like, you want the 10 back? You and I know a couple of bad weekends, hang out at a couple clubs, uh go, go on a couple of buffets, and, and you're and you're right back to where you want to be if you feel like you need to gain weight. But what I find is when people look in the mirror and it's like, you know, when I got down to 178, my intention was only to be about 190. But when I looked at 178, I'm like, this isn't so bad. Because what it gave me is it gave me a clean slate to be able to put on some muscle mass. So I started hitting the weights a little bit more and, mm. and sort of bulking up to being built more like a football player as opposed to a marathon runner. And so now I'm kind of in between there. I'm hovering around, you know, 183-ish. Good weight for me. But the bottom line is, is that Yes, I do. At this point in time, I you can almost say I eat what I want. It's I eat what I want because the intensity by which I work out with, which a lot of people don't have, is crazy. I work out basically at a minimum. I work out six days a week for the most part. I'm burning. I'm burning a, a good amount of calories seven days a week, right? Yeah. But so Mondays I teach cycling class, right? I'm typically you know I walking away from that eleven hundred calories burned. You know, Tuesdays, I train, I, I hit the weights, I get, you know, two miles of cardio in and I hit the weights. Wednesday, I have a fun run. I typically run anywhere from three to uh, three to four miles, sometimes two if I don't have the time, but I'm getting that burn in. Thursday, I'm back teaching class again. That's another 11, 1200. Th- uh, Friday, I hit the weights, you know, sort of segueing me into Saturday because I have a Saturday morning class. So Friday, I, I ha- kind of have an open gym mentality with myself and just say, OK, I want to hit upper. So then I just I don't have a plan. I just go in and, you know, do three or four sets of eight, hit it and I move on. And of course, Saturday, I'm back running. Uh, I'm back teaching class again. And then Sunday before church. I do another fun run. I do a gratitude fun run. So Wednesdays and Sundays, I do a run because that's the days I go to church. And so I have a fun run for that. So for the most part, I'm just not out here just eating, you know all the donuts. But if I want a donut, I'm going to have it because I know I'm going to burn it off because I'm writing it down. So the trade-off is like, hey, hey, if I took this in today, if I took this extra 380 calories in today, I need to subtract it from tomorrow's budget. Hmm. And so I, I work things out from that standpoint. But what I will share with your audience, if you're get, if you're on that first initial weight loss journey, you get no cheat days. Okay. No cheat okay. days. No cheat days, right? Until you hit the mark and then see how, how your body's going to operate. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to get back in that habit. Mm-hmm. Like my body has a good flow. I fast a couple of, I, I, like I'm fasting right now, right? I fast on Tuesday morning and it's, it's, it's obviously, you know, a spiritual thing, but it also has some health benefits to it. I fasted three days uh, a couple of weeks ago as part of a church project. And once you understand your body, then you can see where you can tweak some things where if you want, if you want to have a glass of wine, if you want to have something over here, you can do that. Once you know your body is now turning into a machine, it's turning into a tool for you. That's when you can start doing extra things. But a weekend, no, you don't need a cheat meal. You don't need a cupcake. Right. You don't need a a large bagel with extra cream cheese. No, you don't get to have a six pack. Right. You don't get to do any of those things because you need to go ahead and initially get the weight off and then understand how your body's going to work. Like I've kicked my metabolism up to the point where it's almost 
it's almost as quick as it was when I was in my twenties. Like this is the second best shape I've been in my life outside of when I was playing college football. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And I'm in my forties. Hmm. Right. But this, but the shape I'm in right now to scale with my age, it's equivalent to, or better than when I was uh, playing college football when I was 21, 22 years old. Okay. So that's where, that's where, that's where people need to start. People need to start with the idea that like, I do this or I do this and accomplish this or don't give yourself the leeway of, you know, maybe I don't want to do. No, 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 no. You have to attack this aggressively. Mm. Just like if the doctor gave you that diagnosis. Right. Like I, if I can use you as an example, you didn't say, you know what? I'm going to go from a pack a day to just mm. five cigarettes a day. No, you started coughing up blood and said, this is I, I'm done. Like, I don't want to see this ever again. Yeah. That's how people need to treat their weight loss. This, this, these extra pounds that are on the side that are under my arm that, that are in my lower back, yeah. it's got to go. And, and I can't look at it any longer. So the quicker it's gone, not, oh, I'll just progressively don't. No, you need to attack it because you want it gone. Just mm. like you never wanted to see what you saw. Think about that when it comes to weight loss. You want it out of there as soon as possible. And you do all that you need to do to do that. And trust, I mean, um, Sure, there's plenty of nutritionists out there. Um, but the basic bottom line is it, it doesn't take some crazy, well thought out plan. You can put together a plan, and I, I encourage you to do so. But it's as simple as this calories in, calories out. You take in less, you burn more than you take in, you lose weight. Hmm. We don't need to go to medical school to work this out. You take in 2000 calories. I mean, you, you eat 2000 calories and you burn 2,500. You, I mean, it's, 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 it's mathematics hmm. and it's science. It, it, you know, people try to put all these complex things in there and like, Hey, this is what I ate. This is what I burned. Hmm. Period. Yeah. So track that, track that. You know, well, they get you a watch, you know, write stuff down. You need to know what your your workouts uh, are doing. And and definitely we can we can discuss some some things about the workouts that are going to go with it. The main thing is the food. The main thing is the intake, mm. you know, because, you know, people who <laughs> work out like crazy, but they eat like crazy, too. Mm. So the main thing is the intake. So, but yes. OK, you got, you got to go score surf on this. AC has some question for you. Can you have your cake and eat it, too? And I don't think you can really in a lot of situations you either go one way or the other um you know that's kind of what i think um you know a lot of people need to do they need to either go this way they need to make that decision and go for it like what you've just said really when you say can you have your cake and eat it too um it's not i'm trying to think of the word it, it people are going to people are going to slip up and you're going to fall victim to old habits. That's just that's just what it is. Mm. And and because and because you know that you put guardrails in place. So let's just say, um, like I'm a Snickers guy. I don't know. Do you all? You I mean I don't I don't know. If Snickers is worldwide. I know some candies are more prevalent in certain areas. But I'm a Snickers guy, and they make the large ones. They make the regular ones. And I was like, man, I really really want a Snickers. Well, a full size candy bar of a Snickers, I think it's three seventy which is way too much because I have meals that don't equal up to that much. Mm. So what did I do? You go buy the little small fun size, the ones you put in the candy dishes. 
And when you when you get the urge and you're just like, oh, I really want one, that little piece is 70 calories. And so now you could be undisciplined and go gra grab like five of them, or you can be disciplined enough to just get your fix. Grab you one small 70 calorie. Mm, man, I remember the taste of this. And you keep it moving. Mm. 70 calories. It's not ruining your budget. Think about that to 370 for the full size sticker bar. So now you're looking at a full 370, 30 from being a 400 caloric to go against your budget. But 70, you can sustain 70. And I did a lot of little things like that. The small size Kit Kat, small size Snickers, small size Reese's, whatever your thing is, the little individually wrapped ones are perfect. It gives you a little bit of your fix without completely ruining your budget. So you can have your cake and eat it too. You just can't have the whole cake, mm -hmm. you know? And so <laughs> I started one of my weight loss journeys two weeks before Thanksgiving. Because I said, if, if, if I'm going to do this, I need to test myself in the worst case scenario. You know, I was engaged at the time and we're going to the house and there's food everywhere. There's about two or three pies, some cakes, some cobbler, Broccoli rice casserole, this and that, all that. And so I'm sitting up there. I'm like, okay, how am I going to handle Thanksgiving? I went through broccoli rice casserole, mashed potatoes, cornbread stuffing. I grabbed a spoon and grabbed that much of a portion and put it on the plate. Like basically like half of a palm. One. Boom. Remember, we're talking about just getting our fix, right? I don't need a gigantic serving of it. I just want to taste. And so you get small portions. And I load it up on the chicken, the tur and the turkey. That's protein. I can eat, I can eat that all day. That, that doesn't that's that's good stuff. And I remember looking over at some of our family members was like, he really is serious about this weight loss. Yes, I am. Because you're sitting there and it's just food for days, but you just get your samples. Just get your nice little samples. So if you go somewhere here, I'll give, you, I'll give your audience a trick. For one, you need to be doing more cooking at home than going out. That's number one. So one of the things I did was, is I was like, man, I love lasagna. I love pizza. I love enchiladas. I love certain things. So what you do is, is you go and you get online and say, what is in an enchilada that's at your local Mexican restaurant? Right? What's, what's in there? And what I did is you go through and see all the ingredients and you go find the low fat equivalency to all of them. I was able to create a lasagna recipe where every serving was 420 calories because I made it myself. I got the low fat ricotta. I got the, the, the wheat al dente uh, lasagna noodles. I went, I went, got, I went, and got the loaf, uh, the lean beef, the 96, four beef or the 90, 10 beef. So I'm getting the low fat beef, the beef that doesn't leave, you know, eight pounds of grease at the bottom of your pan. I went and got all the equivalencies of the foods I like to eat and I cooked it myself. I know how to make a pizza right now. That's not 380 a slice, but 380 to 400 for the whole pizza, right? Because I go and I choose every ingredient that goes into that pizza and I find a low fat option for each of them. And then it becomes, it becomes almost like a, like a fun game. Like, Hey, uh, man, I really do like that double meat burger at this local joint. Let me see what the contents of that burger is and let me make it myself. And then it turns into a game to where you're, you're, 
You're controlling your caloric intake by making all the stuff that got you big in the first, that got you overweight in the first place. You're going to create it. And so you cook it at the house. And that's going to be one of the main things you do. However, let's say you do go out. Maybe you take your, 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 your lady friend, your spouse, or take someone out for a night. Not only is there a way you can cut your caloric deficit in half, you can also save a ton of money. Say you and, a, you and someone go out to eat and you look at, the, look at the menu and it's like, you find the correlations. What do both of you all like? You know, whatever that dish is. And you tell the waiter, hey, we're going to take um, the chicken Alfredo, but we're going to split it between the two of us. And we'll both, and we'll both enjoy that. So they'll take that one meal because, you know, they make bills and they make them way too big. They take the meal, they cut it in half. And then both of you are eating the same meal. Like I said, you know, most restaurants, if, if I go out somewhere, most restaurants, you can probably find some core, uh, some similarities in, on about four or five different dishes. So you, you're getting less of a portion because you're splitting it. And let's say you go by yourself. You know what you do? You say, hey, I'm going to have the fish, the fish, chips, and the salad. And hey, by the way, can you just bring half of it out and box the other half of it? Okay. So you're taking the food. You're taking the food off the t off the table. It's not even in there. It's already boxed up. So not only are you getting a lesser portion of what you're eating, you got lunch for tomorrow. <laughs> you know. So you're saving money. You're saving on a caloric deficit. Like there's nothing but wins there, because the portions are already too large. And so those are a couple of little tricks that can play with your mind and get your mental in a state of where you start doing that and you'll realize the food they're bringing out on the plate, you don't need all of it. Hmm. In fact, it's way more than what you need. And so you go ahead and just take that off the table. I don't even see it because they split it up. Especially when you start getting those platters, when they say something that says a platter or a combo plate, just, hey, box half of that up, hmm. wrap it up, take it home. You're saving money and you're saving on your health. So more cooking at home, but if you do go out, split the meal, and I'm telling you right now, you will see, you'll see a huge, a huge difference in your, in your, in your intake. And I think those are the little, what do they call like, um, uh, fitness hacks. I, I don't know why they call it. It's just, it's just wisdom and advice, mm. but they like to call it hacks because it sounds cute to put on social media and say hacks, split your meals, cook at home and whatever, and whatever your vice is. Get the smaller version of it, and, and just and just do that, and then that'll be your fix. So you you still get the cake, you just get a portion of the cake that you can manage with your health account. Okay, that's awesome. That's a absolutely fantastic tip. Really, really is. So yeah, let's talk about um, the story of your dad passing the night of your thirty third birthday, uh, just as your first book was published. So let's talk about the emotions, actions, and revelations that happened as a result. Yes. And that was, that was a, that was a really tough time of my life. And really it was a very great time because now obviously I see the blessings that were within it, but you know, it was the night after my 33rd birthday, I was engaged at the time. And um, my father was set to, to sing at my wedding that was going to happen the following year. Um, you know, the night after my birthday, I'm sitting in there talking to my, um, my fiance at the time. And I come back to my phone and my phone has like five messages on it. Nobody leaves voicemails, but it's my mom screaming, telling me that my father was dying. So at that time I had, 
changed churches and maybe kind of changed some of my religious practices as well. And so I had gotten to the point where I was really, I'd really gotten caught up in the thoughts or things and, you know, you can manifest something, just think it into existence. Everything is going to happen as long as you just fix your mind on it enough. And I know there's an element of faith in there, but I had gotten to the point where it was just like, you know, not with God, all things, with God, all things are possible, but it's like, you know, God has given me the authority to create whatever I want. And I had believed that to a level of where it was almost like arrogance, like I can get this done. And so that's how I felt about the night my father died. I was like, you know, I'm, God, I'm asking you to make sure he walks out of here. We got this. Let's go. And that's the attitude I went into the hospital with. And of course, once I got there, it, you know, it, it was like a Greek tragedy. Um, you know, for us, it'd be like 9-11, the, the Columbia or a Challenger explosion uh, from a NASA standpoint. And it was just, it was rough. And I remember going in there and the nurse was like, hey, you know, there's about a three to 4% chance that your dad is going to make it. And I'm like, good. All I needed, I'm a winner. All I needed the percentage to be is higher than one. And that's where my mindset was and how flawless of thinking I, I was in that point. And I huddled all my siblings together and I was just like, hey, we need to be on the same page. Our father's going to walk out of here, but we can't leave this huddle until we agree that that's going to happen. And of course, you know, at 454, 452, um, he took his last breath and I was mad. Um, you know, my mom is like, what are we going to do? You know, I got a brother who's just not saying a word. My sister's pacing. It was um, it was a rough time. And so after working things out with them, I went outside the hospital and I'm just screaming at God. I'm just like, really? Like, I didn't ask you for, you know, my, my book is, my book is just published because obviously um, when the book was published, they, they sent me my author copies. And that weekend I was taking my new book, Awaken the Bottle Within to my father's house so we could sit down as father and son and talk over this, you know, that's how men do. That never happened. And I said, you know, God, I, we need to have a talk. Like, I asked you for one thing. I just asked you to make sure my father walks out of here. And did you not hear me? You said you'd never leave nor forsake me, yet I feel alone. And then I remember hearing the voice of God, the still small voice, the angelic voice of God say, you know, I gave you everything you wanted and I never left you. But I just want to let you know that your father will walk out of this hospital, but he's walking out of this hospital as you. He's given you, he's poured into you your whole life, the values, the integrity, the work ethic, the, all these things. He's given these to you. So he's going to walk out of here with as you. Now go out there and be the man that he and myself have called you to be. I, I bless you with this father and I'm always going to be your father. But now go out there and do that. And so after that moment, my whole interpretation of life, death, adversity, struggle, just completely changed because I started looking, and of course, with the help of some of my colleagues like Dr. John Demartini um, and, uh, and my mentor, uh, Arthur Johnson, Rob Pennington, a lot of guys, I have a, a good council of men around me. Um, but my whole idea of, of just adversity had changed because I, I started looking at like, when you see a worst case scenario in front of you and you just say, this is pretty bad. But is there any good here? Is there anything I can I can salvage from this? 
Or what am I becoming because this happened? See, a lot of times we miss that part of it. Like, you know, you lose a loved one, uh, you get a divorce, job loss, your business failed. And you're just like, man, this is the worst thing. It's like, but what did it create? Because it had to create a new, for you to come out of a tragedy, you had to become a new creation. You had to become something new. You wouldn't have gotten there without the loss. And that was what I gained from my father leaving that night because now I look at it as such a great blessing because like the level of maturity that I had to step into was something that I couldn't have gotten on my own. And so with the, the dynamic between the man who raised me and my biological father who's still there, you know, I always gladly say I have two fathers and the man you see on screen right now is not here without the influence of both of them. One, I had a strained relationship coming up with one who raised me and brought me into sports and fitness and, you know, left, you know, before I turned 40 and all of it came to be good. You know, they say, you know, God makes all things for the good. Right. But it's, it's up to us with the resources we have to see where is the good. Right. That's our responsibility to to seek the good. In a, in a seemingly bad situation. And my father dying that night was the opening of a door to a life that I had not known before him. That's pretty powerful stuff. It really, really is. So tell us then about your work with teens and young adults and as a ministry leader and a mental performance coach. Was this something that uh, happened as a result of your dad passing, your father passing, or um, was this something you were already doing prior to his passing? You know, I, obviously working in sports, I was working with young adults quite a bit. I mean, these guys are coming, you know, going into college. So they're between the ages of 19, 22. So I was always working with young adults through many things. And I remember um, right after I had, I'd written Awaken the Baller Within and I wrote, I am more than enough. Um, I was at a church and they asked me to speak at a Wednesday night service. And so, you know, I'm presenting, you know, the principles that I utilized from the book at that time. Well, the youth and family ministry assistant was in the audience and she said, I love, I love what you presented. Do you think, you know, we could bring you by and do a three week seminar with our teenagers? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. You know, so we set up the contract. I come through three weeks consecutively. I'm working with the teenagers at this church. Well, what ended up happening is as I was doing it, the class grew every week. It started off at like, you know, 20 people. Next thing you know, it's 28. Next thing you know, it's 40 something students in there from a three week class. And I'm not, you know, I'm just coming by and doing my thing. And then the woman was like, hey, do you think you want to stay around and maybe volunteer? And I was like, sure, why not? I'll try it out, whatever. And then, you know, someone came through and taught me ministry. Um, I'm working with teens and empowering them. And it was it was weird because it's, it's like I just accepted a calling that I didn't know was placed on my life. So I just I leaned into it. And, you know, we built me and another gentleman built that ministry up. That ministry was. Wasn't a lot of students in there. We built it up to where it was a powerhouse over a three year period. And so once that happened and with my love of sports, like I just started realizing that whether I'm speaking, you know, in for nonprofit organizations, for high schools, colleges, churches, 
in just different sports camps, I realized that the common denominator between all of these things was youngsters, was young people. And so I decided to lean into that. And of course, now that's that's my mission now is to um, to build a bridge to the next generations. And so that's where I am now. But it, it did start from from that ministry. And now, yeah, almost everything I do now is focused around young adults. I, I do some mental performance coaching with them. I'm working with a lot of youngsters now from the standpoint of going into college and coming out of college, because most of them don't have a clue if they even need to go to college in the first place. And then I try to prevent them from getting what I would call a useless degree, a degree just for the sake of getting one. It has no market value. It has it, it brings nothing. That degree doesn't lead you to getting something that's going to create employment. It's just a piece of paper. And I try to get students to not do that because college is not cheap. You know, you're spending two, three hundred thousand dollars for a degree that can't even get you a job making 30K, well, that's a problem. Mm. And so I try to advise a lot of youngsters in that way. And of course now um, I'm with a new church now out here in the Woodlands, Texas. Um, and I'm working with the ministry with them. Um, you know, we run a strong ministry over there, uh, just really empowering them, you know, teaching them the gospel, uh, letting them, you know, showing them uh, the scriptures needed to be able to live an empowered and fulfilling life. And if I can impart something uh, on your audience uh, that, I, that I've been sharing recently is like, I think with the newfound way of the way people are thinking, um, they think that life is just supposed to be happy. And that's just not the truth. And obviously I'm coming from the Bible and in, in my talking, but it's like, there really isn't much rhetoric out there that says life is supposed to be just happy. It's supposed to be fulfilling, but happiness and fulfillment is two totally different things. Mm. Happiness is a fleeting emotion. Fulfillment. Ah, now that's, that's digging deep within your soul because fulfillment comes with this. Remember there's, there's, there's joy in the struggle. Right. When you're trying to build something, uh, you, you know, whatever you do for your profession, you know, you have a business. We know building a business is not easy. There's a lot of long nights. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of adversity that comes along. Money issues, everything you plan for, half of it's out the window. But when it's built, you look back and you look at the scars and you look at the wounds and you look at the sleepless nights. You look at the stress and you smile through that. That process through there was not happy. Mm. I mean, you smile in it, but it's like you're getting your butt kicked on so many different days. Mm. But it's fulfillment, right? We got to get this happy, go lucky, you know, do what makes you feel good. Sometimes you're going to do things that's not going to make you feel good, but you need to do it. Mm. I have a question here that actually says, uh, we all on the surface want, seem to want an easy life, one where we don't need or want for anything, but due to hardships and challenges in life make us what we are. That's the question I have. And, you know, this whole kind of trial and error thing that we have in life, that's how you learn and you learn by doing and by doing, like if you have, like if we all want a lottery tomorrow, um, if we all want, say, I don't know, 
100 million dollars in the morning and didn't want to need for anything in their lives i reckon you'd have a lot of people who would just become so depressed and just give up you know when you hit a certain low point and you can kind of build yourself up or if you put a challenge on yourself or if things aren't going your way and you dig yourself out of that situation you're not just digging yourself out of a situation you're looking to help from other people you might build up new alliances new friendships you might learn a new skill you might um pick up a new hobby you might change your life ultimately and you're absolutely correct you ever you just said if everyone got a hundred million dollars, um, society would collapse within like a month. Mm. If you think about it, who's going to work? Yeah. What purpose do you have? Like, you know, and, and and you know, we have politicians out here in the states who who advocate for a lot of a lot of social programs, and um, I'm not saying that we need to eradicate all of them, even though most of them do need to be eradicated. The reason why entitlements and those things don't work, because if you didn't work for it, you just don't appreciate it. And it just continues in more bad behavior. Like you said, there, there will be more. The, the richer, th those people you're talking about who, who got handed the money, they would be absolutely depressed. Suicides would go up. Mm. Um, just just the depression, mental health would be just would just. Man, psychologists would be would be the next richest people because their 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 doors will be rotating with people who are, are just down and out because, like you said, there's no struggle, there's no there's no there's no work involved with it. You know that's why you know you know silver spoon kids typically don't work out well. Some of them end up having some work ethic, but if you're handed too much, you know it just doesn't work out that way. I entitlements. Uh, do ruin a lot of things in society. You do need the struggle. You know, as a politician down here one time was like, you know, everyone needs to get, you know, everyone needs to get paid just for being a human. And so we can see, you know, the beauty of their art. You know, we can, we can paint and do all of this. And I'm thinking like, well, what are you going to do with the other 20 hours of your life of the day? You'll sit around painting all day. Not to mention who's going to buy the paint. Who's gonna buy your painting? Last I checked, most people, my, my father was an artist. Um, <clears throat> painting is usually in the homes of wealthy people. Well, if everybody's equally broke, who's going to buy your paintings? And what are you going to do with your life? You're sitting around just doing nothing. This is why I'm, you know, I'm a huge, you know, I push back a lot against, you know, more social programs, more entitlements, because it doesn't create people who show up with purpose it shows up with people with their hands out and that does nothing for any society i don't care for where you are where i am in australia it doesn't matter where it is if you give somebody something that they don't deserve and didn't work for it's not going to work out for the good it just won't it cannot because the mentality is because in because in the back of your mind in the back of your mind you're like i don't i really don't deserve this i didn't earn this Right. I'm not talking about a gift. I'm talking about a constant just tossing you money, tossing you food, tossing you, uh, you know, when you're talking about reparations or, you know, whatever. Mm. Those things just don't work because you didn't work for them. Mm. And so you don't appreciate them, which means you squander them. 
go check the numbers. Have your audience go check the numbers on lottery winners. How many of them are doing actually worse than before they got the money? Mm. That's very documented. I think 87, 90% of them end up not only broke, but worse than they were before when they didn't have all those millions. Yeah, yeah. No, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Like you even see a trend with people who are re retired or they're unemployed for a certain amount of time. Um, and it could be in a job which they're not, you know, that they're happy enough in, but, you know, they're giving out about people that they work with and whatever. And then, you know, some of them leave that job and they don't get other jobs and they're actually in a worse position because um, now they just have to sit at home with themselves all day and it's depressing. And, you know, at least when they were work surrounded by these other people, they had some sort of a challenge. Um, not saying you should stay in the job if you're unhappy there. Absolutely, you should, uh, you know, move on and find something else. But, um, you know, um, it's good to be challenged fundamentally. What can anybody do today right now to create a better life? And maybe this feeds into how can people reset their life in five steps? So basically, with the five steps in mind, how can I myself, you know, reboot my day today um, or my life in in five steps? Well, that, that's a great question. And, and that book was written on that on that premise of, you know, some people are in some people are looking around and they're looking at some really dire situations um, and they're looking for answers. And so obviously uh, when you talk about uh, now what, which, uh, mm. <laughs> you know, my, my, my father looking across at me and saying like, now what was like, <laughs> that was the, that was the question that, that sent shockwaves. Uh, but first you, you really just need to just sit down with yourself. I always suggest people, um, I know people like to type and all this stuff, but I suggest people to get, you know, big, big yellow legal pads. I know, I know writing with a pen and pad is considered archaic, but trust me for this, do it. Go grab you some, grab you a composition book and you need to unload your thoughts because the first thing to do, you need to do is reflect. You need to look around and say, okay, this doesn't look awesome. I don't know what that is over there. And we're talking about from a mental standpoint, right? How did we get here? Like, this is almost unrecognizable or it's so bad that you've taken what looks terrible and awful and just normalize it. Like we we're talking about with the weight loss earlier, you've gotten comfortable being uncomfortable with all of this. that's not working for you. You're comfortable with it not working for you and you just accept it. Now you're complacent. So when you reflect, you reflect on how did I get here? Um, or more so, where am I currently? And, and, once you accept and take responsibility, because that's the time when you talk about reflect, I want people to get in the mirror and look across at themselves and say, I'm responsible for where I am right now. All of it. And I know some people are going to be like, oh, you don't know what my ex did or you don't know what my employer did. You don't know what my sister did. Not not a concern, because at the end of the day, the only person who absolutely matters and needs to be taken care of is the person in the mirror. Right. Because even if all those things are true, you're still present in the situation. Right. It's sort of the, the principle I have. You, you read the book. It's like it's not your fault, but it is your problem. Mm. Right. You know, so, 
somebody, somebody, somebody ran their car into your house. You didn't cause that. That's not your fault, but you got to deal with the fallout of it. And so you take that from a life standpoint. So you reflect. And now you need to decide. You decided you wanted to lose 30 pounds. Okay, cool. Let's let's start. Let's start looking into what it is we want. This this to surround me. I don't want this or I want something more of this. So now I need to decide what is that? What is that? And what does it look like? What does increase look for you? Like you said, what does a better life look for you? What does it entail? Is it money? Is it finances? I mean, is it money? Is it family? Is it a new job? Is it starting a business? Is it writing a book? You get to decide what that is, but decide what the increase or what the better looks like for you. What is that? You have to decide something because indecision is like one of the worst crippling things people can do is to not make a decision. Like when you hear people say, it depends. No, make a choice. This or that and then live with the results. And with that, we go into the planning stage. So you reflect, you decide now it's time to plan. All right, you want to lose 30 pounds. How? Start writing out the plan. All right. Um, this is what I take in. Uh, this is what I take in in food. This is my workout. Where's the deficit? All right. I need to take in this while burning this to reach this. All right. How long is it going to take you to get there? All right. What resources do we need? Do we need money? Do we need uh, do we need uh, a, a, a particular uh, some equipment? What do we need for what we decided upon? While we're in the planning stage, we need the resources to make sure that that decision can come to pass. And of course, once you get all that going, it's action time, baby. It's time to get to work. It's time to, even if, you, even if the plan is incomplete, it's time to start running. Because see, you start building things up. And a lot of times people say, well, you know, I don't have all the answers. You'll never have all the answers. That's the beautiful thing about life. You'll never have all the answers. But you do need to make a move. It's like, well, what if I make a mistake? You're going to make a mistake because you're supposed to make mistakes. Why? Because this is new. This is something you've not done before. You can only plan so much. Sometimes you need to run into the buzzsaw and realize, hey, it's sharp and it cut me. All right, maybe I'll take a left where I took a right before. Maybe I'll keep straight. Maybe I'll turn course. But the bottom line is, is that you have to take action because you need to be able to learn. You spoke on that earlier, like the trial and error. You you, you need that. You can't get away from the idea that you're going to learn through failure. And people try to avoid failure. And that's why you'll never succeed. If, you, if you're trying to avoid failure, trying to avoid pain, trying to avoid adversity, trying to avoid arguments, life just doesn't work that way. We are meant to overcome these things. And it's, you know, whether, you're, whether your audience is, 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 is religious anyway, but like, it's almost like, when God, God tells people like, hey, I, I'm, I'm not going to take the pain away, but with me, you can endure the pain, right? Like, like, oh man, like this, I'm having a pain in my side. It doesn't, no, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you to get through this. You just need to lean on me because I can get you through this, but by yourself, you can't do it. And so you want to take action. And while we're talking about that, the final point in the five steps is to Seek counsel. Man, people are not meant to be lived alone. We're meant to be in communities. And I'm not sure how it is in your country, but society has done a great job in decimating communities and families. And it's pretty bad because 
the communal is how things get done. Uh, uh, local communities get together and, and put things and take care of one another, right? That's where, and that's where the kind of the push pull between government interactions and local communities. When local community takes care of itself, you don't need some overarching, you know, large conglomerate governmental agency taking care of you. Why? Because we take care of each other. And so as you're going through this, as you're going through this process and you're putting things together, seek out people who can help you get these things done. You know, get an accountability ally, somebody who will hold you accountable for what you're trying to do. Get you a council of good men and women around you who can help you through these different things. You're not meant to do all of these things by yourself. You're meant to do them in a, in a community situation. And that happens when you seek out others to help you, right? Because you don't have all the answers. When you hear people say like, man, I, I got this done on my own. I was able to, you know, I grinded out and it was all me. They're lying. No one does anything alone. Everybody we see who's wealthy, everybody we see who's successful, everybody who's got all these things going on, they didn't do it on their own. Even if you're just a family man or, you know, a stay-at-home wife or whatever, she's not doing that alone. She's doing that actual action with the kids alone, but someone taught her how to be able to work in, in, in that situation. She learned through certain things. She asked advice of other people who've done this before. That's why grandparents are, are, are impressive. The, the, the older, the wiser people who have knowledge in the industry you're trying to do, whatever you decided on that plan, like go to someone who's done it. You know, ask, take them out for coffee, take them out for tea, take them out to lunch, pick their brains. Hey, do you mind if we sit down for 30 minutes and talk about this? I'm trying to write a book. I'm trying to start this business. I'm trying to get with this industry. Right. I'm trying to start a new I'm trying to go into a new profession. You've been doing this for 30 years. What's how do I get into this industry? Right. Have some humility and ask for help. Ask for counsel. And that's the way you come full circle and getting yourself from where you are to where you're trying to go. Those five steps can work for anybody trying to bring increase to their lives. It's, it's very practical. It's very strategic. And it can be worked through from start to finish and get you to where you're trying to go. Okay. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. So you have a bunch of really good books available in particular now, and we're going to have links to your Amazon store where you can buy all your books and your websites. All of the links that are available, well, we'll have them linked in the show notes. So you have a, um, <clears throat> Yeah, so like I said, you've got a few good books in particular, Now What, which is a free download, and I urge everybody to go onto your website and check that out and download it because um, it's a fascinating read, especially it's it's free. Um, I was reading through it last night, and um, it's just full of wisdom and knowledge and motivation and, you know, everything that you need. It's absolutely, it's and it's, it's so heartfelt as well. It's it's really it comes from a place of deep understanding, and it's uh, it's very it's very very authentically written as well. Um, it's 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 a great read. I just urge everybody to um to check that out. It's called Now What. Now you've a new book due called um, Five Steps to Get Up and Create the Most of Life. So tell us a bit about this book. It's available in paperback and in uh, ebook and. Just to let your audience know, I got to talk to my publisher because he told me to hold off because I'm excited to do it. But I'm going to begin in the studio probably within the next three to six months. And I'm going to do the audio book for it, which I know 
my audience loves audiobooks. <laughs> I've learned it over time, but uh, but there's a there's a, a process to to go through that. But I'll 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 do my I'll do my eight to ten hours in the studio and get and get that because um I will be I will be reading it myself. Um, it will come directly from me. I know for me, I like books that are written by that are read by the author. Uh, instead of an instead of uh, someone to narrate it for you, and I'm, nothing against anyone who narrates it for you, but it's like when when you're the one who wrote it, you know where the emphasis is in the book, whereas someone just reading it is reading it. When when you know when and there's a backstory behind something you're putting together, like I always I like to have a little sidebar, um, you know, even if it's not an actual story in there, it's like hey, you know, you know, I remember when this happened, and you know, you know, even when you know I'm talking about my sister's gumbo. Um, people, people love that analogy, by the way, uh, about the gumbo. And so your readers can look forward to, to that. I think that's of all the people who were part of this project, that may be their fate. That and, um, and my mother's love for all workers. Um, I think they'll, they'll see a lot of wisdom. It's a lot of fatherly wisdom in there. It's a lot of motherly wisdom in there. And it's just a lot of wisdom in general. And I encourage your audience to, you know, go pick it up where, wherever they, you know, wherever their favorite bookstore is. I know there's a number of them out there. Last I checked, I think we're on 33 different platforms with the book. So they can definitely, definitely get in on that. And I think there's even a little bit of a perk as well. Um, Cause you're across the pond. Uh, I think we have, we have printers out that way. So that might be able to help out a little bit on some shipping. Um, I'm not, don't, don't quote me on that, but I do know we have printers uh, closer to you than just here in the domestic United States. Awesome. So yeah, you also have a um, like a an offer for listeners of the show, I believe. Yeah, if you're if um, if they send me an email, uh, they can go to my website as well. Um, uh, it's just email. The email gets to me a little bit quicker because I know going through the contact form on the website, it gets screened through a bunch of nerd bot stuff that I that I don't, I don't know how that works, but I just know that uh, going to info at amavi info at amavital com will go directly to me. They Cite the fact that they uh, they were on the um, come to think of it um, podcast, and you know we'll work it out where we can where we can have a we can have a quick assessment call using the now what principles using the five steps, and uh, you know I'll offer that to them to see if there's a see if there's some opportunity for them uh, for some growth because um, they'll walk away with that with 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 some takeaways to where they can they can improve their lives because that is what I was called here to do I was put here to. To, to help people get get off the sidelines and into the game of life. Um, we have so many who haven't found that place where they're doing was fulfilling and can get them paid at the same time. Like, I don't think there's not an either or with this, right? Mm-hmm. When, when you treat your service as a, as a ministry and you live with gratitude in mind and service, life just opens up for you. I mean, it took me 30 years to figure that concept out, that you serve and then you receive. A lot of people are always like, you know, what am I going to get out of this? How can I make this person's life better? And invariably, it comes it comes back to you. Most of the times multiply. But a lot of times people want, you know, hey, when I get more, I'll give more. That's not how the principle works. There's seed time and there's harvest time. You were talking, you were talking earlier. I wrote down, you said delayed gratification. 
when you plant a seed, it's not immediate. It's not immediate at all. In fact, farmers have the the most they're the best representations of delayed gratification. They literally have to wait seasons for crops to come. And if they don't work out, I mean, they're in a tough spot. And so I I, I want to encourage your, your audience to, to see the bigger picture and, and, and look to see how they can make someone's life better. Because everybody has a service. I actually just I actually just posted something right before we got on um, where every area of life services are needed. And some of these services you don't think about. Like I use the example of the cart, the cart wrangler at the grocery store. You know, you have your cart, you have your little bay, you put it back. The guy who grabs the carts and brings them back into the store for people to be able to use at the grocery store, that's an important role in life. Let's not diminish that. You know, at office buildings, the people who clean the floors, clean the bathrooms, that's an absolutely important job. We don't look down on them. They are needed. <laughs> and if I, I know some of your audience, you've been in a dirty bathroom before, it's disgusting. The fact that you go to a place and it's beautiful, someone made sure that was possible for you. And they deserve respect. And so when you think about it from that standpoint of how your service is for the good of others and it's not about you, life just changes for you. And I want people to get out of the what's in it for me mindset and, and, and more so how can I be of service? How can I serve? How can I give of myself? That's first. And when you live with that first, what comes back to you comes back to you multiplied and you feel better about doing it because you know you've done some good for it. Thank you so much for giving up your time to come and chat with me today. It's been revelationary, to be honest. Um, you've opened my eyes to a lot of things. You've actually, I know this is um, for my audience, but, uh, you know, I'm learning a lot doing this too. There's a reason for me doing this podcast too, is that, um, you know, I can figure out and learn and grow through having interviews and contact with some wonderful and amazing people such as yourself. Okay, I appreciate you having me on.